0: to Eurasia Chat Podcast with your hosts Joana Leles and Aigirim Toljohanova. This is the third episode of this podcast. Subscribe at EurasiaNet or your usual podcast provider. This week we discuss ongoing attacks on press freedom in Tajikistan, recent developments and trials of Pamiri public figures from gorno badakhshan Autonomous Region in East Tajikistan and concerns over access to justice for the defendants, arrests of Karakal-Pakistan activists in Kazakhstan and a series of summits in Astana, where Putin and Erdogan are main guests.
1: Let's start with um, the recent sentencing of Avaz Mad Gurbatov, um, a journalist who was recently jailed in Tajikistan. Um, Agamim, what do we know about the arrest, trial, and sentencing of Avaz Mad Gurbatov?
0: Avazmat Gurbatov is mainly known under uh, pseudonym Abdullah Gurbati. He is a young journalist from Tajikistan, only 26 years old, and he is a documentary filmmaker who recently worked as a cameraman for another blogger who is now also uh, on trial. His name is uh, Daler Bobiev and um, he goes under pseudonym Daler Imam Ali. Uh, So Gurbati has been in detention since June and just in the beginning of October uh, he was sentenced to seven and a half years in prison. The court was uh, behind closed doors and the court found him guilty on charges of assaulting and insulting a police officer and participating in a banned extremist um, organization. We know that Gurbati um, has uh, raised a lot of social issues in Tajikistan. Some of his uh, documentary movies actually won uh, awards in Kazakhstan. And um, he was also, uh, I think, uh, a year ago or more than a year ago, assaulted uh, on the street. It's been um, quite um, disturbing to hear that uh, such a young journalist has been jailed for such a long term. That does sound
1: like a long sentence handed down to a journalist in Tajikistan. So what have human rights groups and media freedom groups um, said about this? Why are they expressing concern?
0: Um, They're expressing uh, some legitimate concern because this is ongoing situation in Tajikistan where press freedom has uh, been shrinking in space uh, over the years. And uh, the recent um, statement from Committee to Protect Journalists, uh, CPJ, based in New York, said that this is a harsh and unjustified sentence, and also is a product of Tajik authorities' discomfort with the growing popularity of courageous brands of public interest citizen journalism. Um, And... um, Recently, in the beginning of October, also, the OSCE representative on Freedom of the Media, Teresa Ribeiro, has visited Tajikistan, and she also expressed her deep uh, dissatisfaction uh, with the news of jailing uh, this journalist.
1: I see. And um, indeed, these um, groups and the OSCE representatives seem to be seeing this as part of a broader trend. And we do know that there are other journalists on trial in Tajikistan. Can you tell us something about them? Who are they and what are they accused of?
0: Yes, there are uh, at least six journalists currently detained in Tajikistan, according to CPJ. This also includes two Pamiri journalists, Ulfat Hanima Machoeva and Hushruz Jumayev. And we will talk later about the situation with Pamiris um, in the podcast. And also there was a trial of independent journalists uh, Zafkibek Saidamini and Abdusator Pir Zoda Zoda, uh, that began on October 11th and 13th. Uh, both, by the way, worked uh, in state TV and radio and are accused of extremism-related charges. And uh, this seems to be a common uh, charge among journalists in Tajikistan that they're somehow related to extremist groups. As we mentioned, Pamiri journalists, there have also been recent developments in trial involving public figures from Pamir's GBAO following violence there in May. But before we get to that, let's recap what happened in May. Joanna, could you take us through it?
1: What we saw in May was an outbreak of protests in the region called Góna-Badakshán-Avtonomny-Okru, called Gbao for short uh, by its Russian acronym. Um, in the capital, Horog, protests broke out in mid-May, um, and the protesters had many demands. I mean, the catalyst, the original catalyst, seemed to be um, the sentencing of um, some prominent Pamiris in um, trials, um, where concerns were expressed about whether these trials were fair and whether these cases were politically motivated. There was also anger over the sentencing of another um, Pamiri activist um, the previous month, Amriddin Alovatshoyev, and he was actually kidnapped from Moscow earlier in the year, and he got an 18-year prison sentence on charges of hostage-taking in a case that his supporters said were politically motivated. Um, So in May, protesters gathered in Horog, and they started to make quite a number of demands, and these included um, an end to harassment by security forces of the population, not just of activists. Pamiri activists and Pamiri people see this as part of a sort of trend of, of heavy-handed law enforcement um, against them by, um, by the security forces.
0: Do we know how many people died?
1: Well, the Tajik um, government says that ten people were killed in um, the clashes in May, uh, but uh, local residents have told the media that it was at least double that, if not more. And we have no way of confirming this, of course, because access to um, the Pamir region Gabau, is um, severely restricted for journalists. And um, this is a, a pattern that we've seen in previous bouts of unrest, including last year. That it's impossible to confirm um, the the number of dead, and of course, we see internet blackouts and people unable to communicate during the unrest and also I would like to point out that the unrest doesn't didn't only start this year or last year but we've documented this it's at least 2012 on EurasiaNet um, 2012 2014 2018 and last year and now in May lots of bouts of unrest in the Pamirs um, where you know people feel very um, much that they are treated as second-class citizens um, as members of an ethnic uh, minority uh, practicing a different religion from the Tajik majority there they are um ismailis in mostly and speaking different language as well so we're seeing claims of um, discrimination and we're seeing a long running problem in the rest of Pamirs
0: and what's the latest on the trials who is on trial and what for has anyone been sentenced
1: just last month the Tajik supreme court um sentenced a certain halbash halbashov to life Uh, for his alleged role in fomenting the unrest. Um, He is the ex-husband of Ulfat Hani the journalist that you mentioned before, who's also um, under arrest and is now on trial separately um, on charges related to fomenting the unrest. She is a prominent and respected Pamiri commentator. So there's been a lot of concern about um, her trial at the case against her and generally the uh, judicial proceedings relating to the unrest. And we've also reported um, at Eurasianet about the sort of shortage of defense lawyers for these defendants in Gabau. Um Ayurin, what can you tell us about that and also about the broader picture which involves um, the jailing of lawyers in Tajikistan?
0: According to Human Rights Watch, um, there are only seven lawyers officially registered as members of Gabao Bar Association and the population of this region is 250,000 people. So um, there are a lot of reports going on that lawyers are often warned against taking the cases of um, arrested people. And uh, there were cases, the one that you also mentioned before, of being extradited from Russia to face trial in the region. And um, in general, the jailing of lawyers happens, um, I, I would say, quite regularly in Tajikistan. Um, Joanna, can you tell us is there a broader context behind this crackdown? Uh, as we know, um, Tajikistan's president Emomali Ali Rahmon turned 70 recently. Should we see this as a regime consolidating power as it prepares for transition?
1: Well, of course, there's a lot of um, speculation as Bruchman ages about whether he's preparing a transition or not. Um, I mean, there are definitely signs that he is preparing a transition and um, that the um, person who he's preparing to hand over power to is his son. I think we should look back a little bit as well and point out that um, we've seen these kind of crackdowns um, on the opposition and on people who, are, who oppose or challenge the regime in some way for a long time. And indeed in, in 2015, Tajikistan took the step of banning the Islamic Renaissance Party of Tajikistan, which was um, the main legal opposition party and which um, you know it was supposed to um, the regime was supposed to share power according to power sharing agreement reached at the end of the civil war in the 1990s. There's been a lot of reports of violence used um, against opponents of the regime. Um, A certain uh, regime opponent Umar Ali Kovatov was gunned down in Istanbul in 2016 in suspicious circumstances. Um, so, there is constant speculation that Emma um, Mali Rahman is preparing to hand power to his son, uh, Rustam Emma Mali. He's now chairman of the Senate and he's held a string of important positions that appear to be preparing him for power. I'd urge our listeners to check out the Eurasianet website, where we have a lot of reporting from Tajikistan, including on the unrest in the Pamis, the subsequent trials, trials of journalists, and also on possible succession issues. Now we're going to discuss the latest developments surrounding Karakalpakstan, um, the autonomous region of Uzbekistan, where deadly violence broke out in July after the government unveiled some constitutional changes that would have diluted Karakalpakstan's special status. Now, there have been some developments um, involving Karakalpakstan, in fact, in neighboring Kazakhstan. Agarim, what's been going on?
0: Uh, In Kazakhstan, as of now, there are at least four Karakalpak activists in pretrial detention in Kazakhstan. And the most recent fifth case, uh, Niedbay Urazbaev, who has been placed on a wanted list by Uzbekistan for allegedly undermining Uzbekistan's constitutional order. Uh, He's been um, visited by police after work. Among these four Karakalpak activists, um, there are um, two women, are Mirman Betova, who was detained on October 4th and on October 7th arrested for 40 days, and uh, Raisa Hudaybirgenova, who was based in Almaty and worked as a cardiologist. And um, two men, Жангельда uh, Жаксомбетов and Koshkar-Bai Turimuratov, uh they were detained. Uh, one was taken from work, another one was taken from home. And uh, Turimuratov was actually planning to participate in recent OSCE conference in Warsaw uh, with his report about the actions of Uzbek government during the suppression of protests in Karakal, Pakistan. And uh, the latest um, activist by Urazbaev, he is based in uh, Aktau in uh, western Kazakhstan. And we know from uh, Karakalpak diaspora activists that um, some of them speculate that um, the intent um, was to prevent those activists from attending human rights conference in Warsaw that was taking place from September 26th to October 7th.
1: So what are human rights groups um, saying about these detentions in Kazakhstan?
0: Um, Human rights groups uh, express concern and uh, Kazakhstan International Bureau for Human Rights and Rule of Law um, also says that uh, Karakalpaks who are living in Kazakhstan are very concerned about um, the fates of their compatriots. And um, they fear that uh, it is happening with the support of Kazakh authorities. And Bureau also um, mentions that those uh, activists who can be deported back to their country, which is uh, Uzbekistan, can run a serious risk of being tortured or even killed. Joanna, I wanted to ask you as well because you actually visited Karakalpakstan Pakistan um, in the immediate aftermath of the violence um, and you were also briefly detained. Uh, can you tell us what was the mood there like, what did you find and what had happened?
1: Yes, um, I arrived in, in Karakalpakstan Pakistan um, in early July um, on the Sunday morning. The violence had broken out on uh, Friday afternoon, evening, so it, it was the immediate aftermath. Uh, I think I I summed up the mood that I found in the long report that we published on Eurasianet uh, which was headlined Karakar Pakistan dazed confused and angry after deadly turmoil that was the mood I found now the government has um, you know blamed this violence on uh, people stoking trouble and um, at some point some uh, uh, talking about outside forces we can see from arrests that have taken place in Kazakhstan that they're talking about you know in some cases at least about um, members of the diaspora um, and their activities on social media presumably but uh, you know I mean the local people that I spoke to said that the protests were spontaneous and they said that they broke out firstly because the mood had become angry after uh, people learned that a constitutional referendum that was planned um, would involve voting on changes to the constitution that would have diluted the special status that Karakal Pakistan has enjoyed um, throughout the period of independence, under which it has its own sovereignty and has the theoretical uh, right to seek independence from Uzbekistan. So the mood was already very angry when a prominent blogger in the region, Dowlet Morat, Tajim Muratov, was detained, um, allegedly co- for calling for protests over that. Now, um, people um, who work in the bazaar, where the epicenter of, of the, the sort of start of all this uh, was, um, they told me in whispers a lot of the time, because they were frightened, Um, that, um, you know, they just went out um, onto the streets because they were angry over that arrest and they were angry over the constitutional changes. Now, what happened next is disputed. Um, At some point, violence um, did break out.
0: Do we know how many people were killed in the clashes? well
1: according to official figures at least 21 people were killed and that included four law enforcement officers Um, and the official investigation into the events does seem to be unfolding behind the sort of veil of secrecy Uh, we don't even know how many um, people are detained currently in connection with the unrest we know 500 were detained in the immediate aftermath but presumably some were released after you know with warnings or fines so the trials have not begun there's a lot of uncertainty um, about what's
0: happening. And can you briefly tell me what's happening uh, with the uh, constitution uh, referendum now and where it's all going?
1: Immediately after the violence, the president, uh, Shavkat Mirziyoyev said that the changes related to Karakalpakstan Pakistan specifically um, would be scrapped. So far, that referendum hasn't been called. And, um, uh, you know, at the moment, it seems to be postponed indefinitely, although it hasn't been taken off the table. We're going to have a report from Karakal Pakistan coming up on Eurasianet in the near future, so you can check out our reporting on all of this, including the detention of the activists on Eurasianet. So Kazakhstan's been in the international spotlight again because of hosting a number of um, summits, conferences with uh, several world leaders attending. Um, The world's, of course, watching uh, where Vladimir Putin is going and what he's doing at the moment. And he was in Kazakhstan last week, as was um, Turkish president Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Asian leaders visited for a summit of the conference on interaction and confidence building in Asia, sort of dialogue platform um, that uh, was Kazakhstan's brainchild. And um, I think what was interesting about that was um, a statement of support for Kazakhstan that was made on the sidelines of that summit by Erdogan before the summit started when he met President Qasim Jamar Tokayev. Uh, What did he say about Kazakhstan and what does that tell us about the role Turkey is now playing um, in Kazakhstan and Central Asia?
0: It seems that Turkey is uh, becoming even more important uh, partner of Kazakhstan, especially after Russia's invasion into Ukraine. And Erdogan actually said uh, something quite similar to what Xi Jinping said when he visited Kazakhstan in September. Erdogan said that Turkey publicly supports peace, stability, sovereignty, and territorial integrity of Kazakhstan. And um, he continuously calls Kazakhstan as a brotherly nation. Uh, which has been also, I noticed, shared across um, different media outlets that Turkey is seen as a brotherly nation, at least in Kazakhstani media outlets. And I see among some of my friends and acquaintances um, having a positive attitude uh, towards Turkey now, even though before it wasn't as uh, prominent. Yeah, I think that in terms of um, closer cooperation with Turkey, it seems like Turkey wants to step up and have a deeper uh, connection with Kazakhstan and not just um, due to shared, let's say, Turkic identity, but right now Kazakhstan is trying to uh, have as many options and as many uh, countries... Um, like supporting and showing support uh, of Central Asian countries. And I think Turkey is one of of them. And maybe um, we'll see another countries uh, coming to Kazakhstan soon and uh, showing the same um, support. And we know that in August, Kazakhstan has approved a protocol on sharing military intelligence. Uh, So it's a closer military cooperation with Turkey. And we also know that Turkey is selling Bayraktar drones uh, to some countries in the region. Joanna, you wrote a report uh, from this uh, conference and what Putin actually had to say during this event. Can you give us some brief details? We should
1: backtrack to, to say that this um, organization, known in English as Sika, was Kazakhstan's brainchild and, and Kazakhstan you know, uh, portrayed it as a, a platform for peace. But what was notable, I think, um, was the fact that um, while Kazakhstan was kind of trying to get the world to take this forum seriously, And while the world was watching closely because Putin was present, Putin used it to kind of spout um, one of his conspiracy theories, which is um, basically that there's a golden billion who are trying to, um, you know, who control the world resources. Uh, He calls it the golden billion. And uh, they are basically trying to to rob the world and destroy Russia. Now, I think, you know, that's kind of um, slightly awkward for a country like Kazakhstan, which takes its diplomacy very seriously and its soft power. And is also trying to distance itself from Russia, um, you know, so as not to be tainted by Russia's war in Ukraine. And of course, um, last week, Kazakhstan also hosted um, a summit of the CIS, the Commonwealth of Independent States, the post Soviet countries, although of course not all of them, certainly not Ukraine, and um, also hosted a Central Asia Russia summit last week. And, um, you know, I think this is all a sign of, um, you know, Russia trying to shore up its position in this region. Even as the Central Asian countries kind of draw away somewhat. And, you know, you can see a lot of reporting about that on Eurasianet. Um, But there was also opposition in Kazakhstan towards Putin visiting at all. Um, And Igor we know that one man um, ended up behind bars because of that. What can you tell us about that?
0: Yeah, this man is among actually several people who expressed um, their concern uh, of Putin's visit in Kazakhstan. I know that on social media, a lot of um, people uh, in Kazakhstan were against Putin coming. Some uh, feminist activists in Almaty were also uh, protesting and other activists were detained in Almaty before the feminist activists came. There were some quite high tensions uh, over Putin's visit. And um, the latest case is Almaty's resident, Rafik Gerald Kasimov, um, arrested for 15 days after publishing a video condemning Putin and his arrival to Kazakhstan. And he also um, called out to go to protest. And he was actually uh, charged on uh, infringing the um, public assembly laws. This has been Eurasia Chat Podcast. Subscribe at EurasiaNet and other podcast platforms and be sure to tune in to our next episode.